and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Eddie Idrisovich. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Eddie onto the show. So Eddie, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It is absolutely fantastic to have you here. Thanks Matt, happy to be here. Excellent. So for those who don't know who Eddie is, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've done until now? Uh, sure, no problem. Um, my name is Eddie, um, and currently I'm uh, working in team handball uh, as strength conditioning coach and also as a sports scientist with the 3x3 uh, Dutch national basketball team. Um, my background is in uh, movement science. Uh, I got my degree here in Amsterdam, uh, and I also, uh, yeah, I, I kind of rolled into strength and conditioning uh, since then. Uh, but I also kept a passion for sports science, so I'm trying to combine the two in the best way I can. Absolutely brilliant. And today we're going to discuss agility. Um, so can you start us off with uh, what agility is and why that's important? Uh, sure. So um, agility is usually defined as a change of direction or speed in response to a stimulus. So there are a lot of, uh, I guess, definitions of agility being used, but that's probably the most um, most uh, accurate one uh, and the part with um, in response to stimulus is kind of important as well and that's the main difference between I guess agility and uh, change of direction um, and there are um, using that definition you can make uh, you can divide agility into a couple of different uh, subcategories um, and those are kind of those are mostly useful for uh, for practical application, and that has uh, implications for how you train agility. So uh, how you could uh, divide it is um, per- perception, technical ex- execution, and physical capabilities. And can you explain those for us? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, so the perception part is uh, actually the, the part where you uh, observe. Uh, there's a stimulus and you have to come up with a response to that stimulus. So that can be visual scanning. It can also be uh, auditory or uh, in different ways, but you scan your environment, uh, you perceive what it's, what is in front of you and you choose the appropriate action. Um, in sports, an example of that would be um, if you're going in for a one-on-one, you might pick up small technical cues about what your opponent is doing and you can choose based on that, what your own action will be. Then you have the technical execution part, and that would be if you choose an action, can you actually execute that action? Um, So those would typically be your uh, change of direction mechanics. Um, And a part of that is also, can you get into certain positions? Uh, Can you do it left? Can you do it right? Um, In in different ways, which we'll uh, discuss later. And the more, um, I guess, the more options you have there, uh, the more uh, more uh, solutions you have to choose from. So it's important to have a good base of, uh, of movement uh, to have a wider range of solutions for each problem. And the last layer, I guess, would be the physical capabilities. So if your, uh, your perception is developed through exposure to the sport, which is in the end probably the most important part, and if you can also execute the different actions, uh, you also need to have the physical underlying capabilities to perform those actions. And that's not only the strength and power part and maybe mobility to get into certain positions, but it's also the, the 
energy system demands as well. Cool. So you've got uh, two distinct categories uh, in agility and core and core change of direction. Uh, and within agility and change of direction, you've got some uh, subcategories. How do you then go about training those individual uh, categories to ensure that you're getting a better player at the end of it? Yeah. So for me, the perception is pretty specific. So you need to be able to uh, to scan the specific situations and have solutions to those. And that's, for the most part, it's exposure to the sport. You need to recognize patterns. Um, that can be in a, in a one-on-one situation, two-on-two, or the larger field. Um, and also, you can you can kind of divide it up into... Uh, into um, categories based on the tactical uh, scheme of your own team. So the perception part is very specific and it's important to develop that win in the sport. And it it just takes a lot of exposure to get there. Uh, The technical execution um, is also partially through the sport because there are always always aspects that are uh, pretty specific to uh, each sport. But are also underlying um, underlying technical um, let's let's call them rules that you might see across different sports. Um, how might might you train those? You can develop drills that you can place in the warm up or even outside of the regular team sessions, and you could do those within uh, um, within uh, own uh, training moments if you have the time to do a, a change of direction session or. Maybe even within the strength session, you can microdose it into the warm up or uh, do it um, together with a, with your bigger lifts. Um, so, what what might an example of that be? Well, uh, you mean you mean doing it within uh, within the strength session? Uh, well, uh, the the technical execution side of things. Right, right. Um, so how I um, how I look at change of direction um, would be globally. I divide it into two different uh, two different ways of approaching the problem, um, and both of these I see in uh, team handball and in three by three basketball, which are uh, both very change of direction based sports. Um, you would have the more let's call it muscle driven change of direction and a more stiffness, maybe tendon driven change of direction so the the quick or the powerful change of direction which both have their separate mechanics so with a muscle driven variant you usually see um, a longer time on the ground with a larger uh, range of motion around the joints Um, usually a pretty big um, movement around the hip so large hip hinging movement uh, to take up the force and produce backup. And this is um, usually something you see when there is a great um, speed coming into the change of direction. Um, so with, when you come into, uh, into the change of direction with a great speed, it's probably also big momentum. Um, and then t- players tend to choose for that option because then you kind of dissipate a load through the hinge and then you uh, power back out. Um, while with a quicker change of directions, that's usually with a lower income speed um, and uh, quicker movements. Um, and there you usually see a smaller range of motion around the joints um, and um, kind of a stacked position of the shoulder, hip, and ankle, where you would stay much more upright, take pretension into the change of direction, uh, yield when hitting the ground, and then let's 
the tendon do the work, um, receiving the force back from the ground and uh, having a, a much quicker change of direction than the other one. So it's kind of stiffness, I guess, or quickness uh, versus power, how I would look at it. And those would be the main differences between the two. And what are then the advantages and disadvantages for those? Um, the, I guess the advantages would be what I, uh, what I mentioned, that um, with, a, with a more hip-hinging movement, you can get more displacement uh, because you take more time to develop uh, or to, to produce force into the ground. Um, so when you are uh, one of the advantages is when you um, when you have larger braking forces, uh, you can then use the the hip hinge to to um, dissipate the force more um, over a longer period of time and larger uh, Jones range of motion, and you can also um, take more time to produce force to cover more ground. With the other one, it's usually the so you cover less ground but you do it quicker. So then you would beat your opponent in a, maybe in a smaller space or when you just need to, when speed is more important than, uh, than the total displacement. So those would be the kind of the big advantages between the two. And of course, it's not black and white. It's more of a spectrum. Um, but I, for me, it's, uh, it helps to make a distinction between those two categories. Oh, fantastic. And uh, there's still the, the physical aspect as well. So the, the gym side of things. So how would you then uh, look at training that in terms of uh, change of direction and agility? Yeah, so with the gym stuff, you're kind of laying the foundation for, for the uh, qualities that, uh, that need to be expressed within those movements. Uh, you can, of course, think of strength. Uh, so especially for the, for the longer con- ground contact change of direction, strength and power are pretty important where stiffness and quickness would be more important for the, for the fast, short change of direction. Um, and you can also think of mobility. So uh, with the <coughs> large range of motion change of direction, the, the more powerful one, players tend to get into more deep angles. Uh, so you see much more of a, a split position, I guess. And you might need some mobility to get into that position. Um, so it's good to also, uh, I guess, analyze what the players are doing, how they're solving the movement. Are they lacking any mobility, any external rotation at the hip? Um, and then also work on that to lay the foundation for the technical work that is to come. And you can also couple those. So you you um, you kind of give the players a bit of an idea, a context to why you are doing the drills. Absolutely fantastic. So in terms of then applying this practically, how do you then bring all of these aspects together to make sure that what you're giving your athletes is something which is going to certainly improve their change of direction and their agility? Oh, how I like to look at it is that, is that every layer gives you a wider base for the next layer. So with the physical capabilities, you are building options and, and potential for skill expression and with the skill expression part you're also giving more options um, for developing the perception part because you can imagine that if you're really good at um, recognizing patterns but you only have two movement options you're still going to be somewhat limited while if you have maybe 10 movement options you're going to be much more agile in the way you approach the game same goes for the layer uh, beneath maybe you have a lot of uh, options 
within uh, different skills you you might um, um, you might uh, be able to use within the game, but you can only do it with power, um, and you solve every problem with uh, with a powerful uh, powerful extension. Uh, but you can do it quickly, um, or maybe you can do it low to the ground, um, or maybe you can do it in certain other situations. And for that, it's also important to develop the qualities that are kind of the foundational aspect to also be able to use those within the specific movements. Um, for me, I like to match my gym work to my change of direction work as well, to kind of um, explain to the athletes why, why we're doing certain things. Uh, you might recognize the two categories that I uh, discussed with the change of direction from uh, plyom uh, plyometric uh, exercise as well. Uh, you can you can divide your plyometric exercises broadly into similar two categories. So more of a long, um, I guess, more of a muscle-driven movement, a muscle-driven plyometric, and more of a stiffness-driven plyometric. And you can couple those to your change of direction work. Um, what I mean by that is that if you uh, don't have the time to do change of direction work on field, or maybe they're uh, within season and you microdose through the warm-up, and you want to uh, add some more uh, on top of that, you might do it within your gym session uh, through plyometric work. Uh, so lateral jumps, skater jumps is an easy example, and you can coach those as well. And you might want to look at, um, at the things that you want to see in your change of direction with those as well. So with the, uh, I guess, long coupling skater jumps, where you would spend more time on the ground, you might want to see the, the hinging movement um, the direction that the force is being produced, etc., and with the short coupling ones, you might want to see a um, more stiff approach, uh, more pretension prior to hitting the ground. Uh, the way the ankle is positioned, so how do you land? How do you attack the ground? Uh, is your ankle uh, do you hit hit to the ground on your toes, or are you, is your ankle actually prepared to hit the ground? Um, and also making sure that there is the, the stack, stacking of, uh, of the joints, um, which would ensure that the force is also um, um, going directly through the joints rather than um, what you sometimes might see is that maybe the, the hip and the uh, ankle are uh, stacked, but the shoulders are lagging. And then you usually see a much slower movement um, where, where you see kind of the, the, the torso lagging behind the hips. Uh, so those are some of the things that you could coach within the plyometric movements. And you don't, if it's in season, you you the, the advantage is that you can do it submaximally with more a uh, bit more repetitions, where you can just coach the technical aspect, and you don't even need to hit that high of an intensity. Um, another way, uh, the how it's usually done is just building your session up from warm up to to your main work, where you would uh, in your warm up. You might start with the mobility things that are specific to that session. So if you want them to hit deeper range of motion, you, uh, you start working on mobility uh, through the joints that you're going to use. Uh, then maybe you hit some technical work, um, a bit more isolated, leading into the sports stuff that it's also in the same, within the same context where you have a smooth transition um, and each part provides context for the next part. Could you could you give us a, an example of how you would then uh, do that? So, for example, taking us through the mobility all the way through to the the main work. Uh, yeah, of course. 
uh, one of the one of the ways I've done it is that uh, you might start with some ability for the adductors um, if you want to hit, uh, uh, I guess, lower positions within the change of direction. So you, I, I know there are a lot of options there. Just some, um, you could do it more generally with um, with some uh, adductor rocks uh, where you um, bend one knee, uh, extend the other um, sideways. So one one leg is uh, abducted. Uh, the other one is uh, bent on the floor, and you rock back and forward. Or you might even go into a bit more, quote-unquote, specific position where you assume a wider stance, like uh, with a sumo deadlift, uh, and you rock back and forward. And you could do that a bit more dy- dynamically, uh, leading into uh, maybe some just some um, extensive submaximal change of direction from one side to the other where they might uh, need to tap the ground uh to make sure that they hit a lower angle you can intensify that by uh, letting them run towards the cone um, put a pick up the cone from the ground run the other way and then you can still coach them uh, a bit through it or sometimes usually when they need to pick it up from the ground they'll assume the appropriate angles directly um, and then you can have it lead into uh, whatever the coach uh, has planned for that day uh, or if you want, you can uh, you could uh, uh, put a part of the sport in there as well. I usually choose not to do that. I just build up the intensity a little bit throughout the session, uh, lay a bit of the the technical work in there, and then uh, they just go off to play. And in terms of then transferring that to agility, how do you then make sure that when uh, you've performed this kind of uh, built-up warm-up? through all of the necessary uh, mobility and change of direction stuff, how do you then ensure that that's applied to agility in the session which follows? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, and I think that's one of the great challenges within uh, team sports because there are a lot of things to develop. Um, and I think, at least it's my belief, that agility is true agility is something that takes a lot of time to develop. Um, and I personally think that it doesn't... Uh, it has uh, no real value to isolate parts of the game and do um, exercises where you're challenging the players to perceive something and make a decision unless it's very specific to the sport. So what I mean by that is that I don't see that much value in two-on-two games that are not really the sport. So yes, it's agility, but it doesn't mean that it's representative of what they're supposed to learn. The cues are usually very different. Um, in essence, we don't even really know what players are picking off a lot of the time because it's so chaotic in team sports um, that I think the most important part is just having exposure to the game itself. Um, so, for example, if you have a, a certain tactical scheme within a team, the way the defense is positioned, the way the goalkeeper is standing in handball in this case, and the way your uh, your your teammates are standing is going to have a lot of uh, input on at, in, at how what kind of decision you make in a situation when you're put into it. It's not really representative to just take two uh, two on two situation um, and have them do have the players do some kind of game and hope that will make sure that the agility or the change of direction work transfers. I don't believe in that personally. I think we should lay a wide base and let them get exposure to the sport, having it be truly specific. 
Um, and if you want to maybe um, try to have bigger learning effects, then I think it's important important to have a good com- a good communication with your sport coaches, and try to do um, more small sided. Uh, stuff on the same day that your change of direction uh, uh, session is is the part of the warm-up or maybe even better yet um, you are the one as a as a assistant i guess or strength conditioning coach or whatever you want to call yourself you should be the one that asks the coach and helps him to uh, plan the moments and adjust the warm-up to the session that's going to follow and try to make sure that one they're prepared to do the session and two, that there is some kind of technical build-up um, and that the, the technical work, this, uh, the strength work, is matching uh, match the session of that day. Absolutely fantastic. I think that's a, a really comprehensive way to look at it. So that's it. Uh, Eddie, massive thanks for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking. Thanks for having me. Cheers, buddy. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Eddie for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it and I'm sure you don't have to. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of our Coach Academy. Our Coach Academy is a series of mini lectures broken down into bite-sized chunks. So if you've enjoyed today's podcast, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes to get seven days for free in a Coach Academy where you'll find loads of similar content to get your teeth stuck into. And of course, if you have enjoyed today's podcast, be sure also to hit the subscribe button. That means that you won't miss next week's fantastic guest. So that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me and Matt Solomon for Science Support, and I'll speak to you next week.